Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the SEMA student podcast. On today's show, we talk about recent SEMA case study pass rates and how your OT exams are marked. Our news stories touch on one of my favourite subjects to get annoyed about, and we have our student question. Hello, I'm Alan, and I'm here today with Connor. Hello, everyone. Before we get started, just to let you know that LearnSignal is making all of our case study webinar series available for the February SEMA exams free to all students who attend live. So just go to LearnSignal.com, SEMA underscore webinar underscore series and register. So first, we're going to have a look at recent pass rates for the SEMA case study exams. And Connor, it's always interesting to look at pass rates and, and consistently. Um, and it's kind of sometimes it's hard to gauge what caused movement. And But sometimes the movement is so big, it's hard to understand why. So for the operational case study, and I'm not actually expecting an answer from you because I don't have one. <laughs> for the operational good. case study, um, the pass rate in August was 46%. So that was the last sitting. And the pass rate in November is 68%, okay. which is quite that's a good. jump. Yeah. That, that's a good it's performance. Everybody. Far better that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was actually trying to think, what is the what is the reason for the increase in that that um that mark and i'm thinking is it kind of so seema are changing their syllabus so february is the new syllabus yeah and is it that people thought it's my last chance so i'm going to do this properly i'm going to make a real effort and study and i kind of think god if you could bottle that and if you keep that attitude because it's the only thing I can think of I, yeah that I, you want to get it out of the way this you want to get it out of the way and therefore I'm actually I'm not going to pretend or I'm not going to I'm really going to make real effort to do yeah. this because that's a there's more at a, stake because if there wasn't enough but but the bit at stake here is actually I can't really do it again I'm running out of options um, and I know the big thing for November was you can still do it on the dust syllabus for February, but only if you actually take it in November. So uh, that's a, I think out of any professional exams we've ever been involved in as a jump in pass rate, that's huge. But that's the only, yeah. it's that piece of, it looks like it was that piece of, piece of motivation they all yeah, needed. Maybe, well, I think, you know, positive jumps, you always hope come down to they're starting to get case studies. They're starting to build that train of thought. It's a lot easier to, um, I suppose, hope or justify those ones yeah. than if the swing's the other way. But you'd hope there is an element of that as well, that maybe this this case study approach is starting to stick with people. But it is a huge, huge jump. But in true academic terms, the same applies for MCS. And MCS is exactly the same, that it ends in November. Yeah. And the pass rate hardly changed. So, yeah. so I, so what what we could do is we could pretend that each one are on their own, and actually the arguments for each one don't actually affect each other. But that so the the OCS one is actually the only one that really kind of big jump. Like from forty six to sixty eight is just a it's a it's just huge. It doesn't matter. The percentage is just phenomenal, really, and, and it's great that that people did that. Um, but MCS was relatively stable. Um, I think the other one that um, connected to the MCS is the gateway. And as we always say, like people have done kind of MBAs and master's programs are coming into SEMA. And we have talked before about how in February the pass rate was only 18%. But there's been, I think, slow and steady improvement. And maybe that message yeah. about has been getting through about how gateway students, but it's still only 31%. So... When you there's look still at, a big gap. There's still the, a big gap. So when you look at the MCS pass rate, and I'm assuming this is the pass rate excluding the gateway people, and they're doing the same one, the MCS pass rate is 66%, but the gateway pass rate is 31%. Yeah. 
And I think that just shows that that gap, which is knowing how to approach case studies and that, that gap is there. But I think, you know, you'd hope that percentage keeps coming up because you'd hope those gateway students are learning in a way that reflects what they can do. But it really is a case studies are a skill and yeah. um, it does get better. And that's why you actually do see good results at the SCS level, because people have had more experience of doing case yeah, studies. Yeah, no matter how many times it took them to get through, once they get through, it kind of clicks somewhat about, oh, I yeah. know that not necessarily that there's a right or wrong formula, but there's a there's a process that they have developed. And I think anybody who's doing Gateway who's listening right now um, could do worse than listening to the rest of Paul's webinars over the next few weeks um, live that you will have access to um, because I, I think that especially the Gateway, there's just a gap and, and I know we've talked and Paul's talked before in previous podcasts, it's it's that talking SEMA, speaking SEMA yeah. language that, that, that students miss out on. Um, and then the SCS was was fine. It was pretty much the same. Um, nothing made, I think it was 58 at the beginning of the year, went to 65 in May, is now 64. So I think certainly the MCS and, and the SCS is stable, if you want to call yeah. it. Um, still pretty good pass rates being in the mid-60s. So I think if you're doing professional accounting exams and you're going into your case study in MCS or your final ever case study with SEMA in SCS, knowing that effectively two-thirds of people are passing this exam, I think there's a lot to be... It's, it's worth that bit of effort knowing that you have a really good shot at passing Yeah, it. yeah, I think there's motivation to be taken from those pass rates. Mm. You know, it's it will be troubling if students are looking at and they're seeing a, a a 25% pass rate but I think you can take motivation that that if you work hard you will get through these yeah. so now we're going to move on to a, a slightly different thing which um, I think is something that um, creates confusion it certainly <laughs> does to us a little bit every yeah. time we talk about it even though we, we even though all your analogies for we, how it works we suppose all the analogies on how it works um, and we're going to talk about how your objective test um, exams are marked and I think there's a there's probably um there's like this i think there's three types of students out there there's the first one the ones who have never done an objective test exam yet and are going to be at the end of this going what <laughs> there's yeah. going to be the other group who um are doing exams and didn't even know this is how their exams were marked and then there's going to be that that set of students who are flying through everything and of course they understood it makes perfect sense and maybe we should invite them on the yeah, podcast to explain, to explain it <laughs> but we're going to give it a go anyway so um we're going to talk about how you mark your ot exams and that is through um scale scoring um it just it just rolls off the tongue yeah. maybe when you when you talk about it like that um, and I think there's if you asked anybody in SEMA and say, how many questions do I need to get right in order to pass my exam? The answer is we can't say that for certain. Yeah. So I think that's a. I think a, that's an FAQ on the <laughs> yeah. most SEMA forms is, is what do I need to do to pass? And the well, you kind of need to do yeah. kind of around, around <laughs> this. And I, and I get that. Um, so what SEMA do is they don't actually, when you're doing your, your exam and you sit there and you go into your test centre on the day, they don't assign specific marks per question. So you're not seeing that for answering this OT question, it's one, two, three, two and a half, whatever it might be, marks per question. Um, so what you're actually doing is not basing it on the amount, you're more not basing it on the amount of questions you answer, but you're more basing it on how difficult was your paper. And I think... We've talked about different ways of of explaining this, but I think the simplest one is let's say me and you are doing um, 
E1 tomorrow. And, uh, or, well, you're doing E1 tomorrow and I'm doing E1 the next day. Obviously, we're because they're on demand, we're going to get slightly different papers. So, in theory, you could answer more questions correctly than me, but I could get a slightly more difficult exam paper and in theory, I could pass and you couldn't pass. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. You're happy. In a nutshell. <laughs> there you go. You're pretty happy with that, I'm sure. And, and I think the like you still get your pass mark and you're still tell straight, straight away when you do your exam that you've passed. And you get a lot of feedback and you get a lot of... So you could do really well in a lot of questions, but you could really miss out on one major area and still fail the exam. So there's, there's lots of different outcomes. But I think, I think you... you what it does tell you is that uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't concentrate. I think if you talk about one of any one of the OT sections and you kind of say, "Oh, there's four major subject areas. If I know three of them back to back in every little corner, that's yeah. enough to get me through." I, I think what's key for the OT questions is to make sure you get over that line because you could get an in inverted commas an easier paper, a slightly easy paper on the day. It, it really is to make sure that you're getting, you're comfortably answering so many questions that you're not even near that 100 mark, that you're you're well over that 100. And the pass rates are, although they don't publish the pass rates now anymore because they've changed um, syllabus and we won't really see pass rates um, for OT exams now until kind of July time, I think it is. Um, it's just it's a little bit of a warning although we kind of laugh about it and it is a peculiar scoring system it's also a little bit of a warning to students to make sure that they've covered all areas and they're not leaving kind of anything behind them yeah yeah I don't think you can afford to miss any syllabus areas and and really what it's trying to do is just add it's trying to even though it may seem a roundabout way but to make it as fair as possible and if you're encountering difficult things but but showing a knowledge in those areas you can still perform well in the exam but the, the i think the underlying fact for students is just you need to have a good grasp of all the areas and you don't want to be finally on that balance between what's determined a pass or fail you want to be exceeding that as you said yeah and i think where you're t really taking a risk i think if in a case study exam you could kind of have a good bit of knowledge and get your way through with kind of good exam technique and well presented and and you could there's other skills that might maybe push whatever you might have 40% of the knowledge but your your exam skill could maybe push you over that that line in order to get to the pass mark I think because the objective tests are very much you know it or you don't. I think it's a it's a different skill. It's not really down. Yes, it's a little bit down to exam technique to make sure you're not spending too much time on questions, and that's a you can practice on our site like that. But realistically, it comes down to having all that sufficient knowledge in order to make sure you're not falling victim to a, a an easy or a, or a hard exam paper. Yeah, and I think the other thing is just for your for yourself not to be panicking in exams or nervous if you find that it is a difficult paper just don't read too much into it because know that you know even if you'd heard someone do a paper a few days ago and said they found it relatively easy that's going to be accounted for in the marking so just whatever paper you are encountering you just have to give it your best shot Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content, important news, live streams, study tips and much more. 
So um, we're going to move on to our news stories today. And Connor, I'm going to go first today because I'm going to vent a little bit about about my (laughs) my favorite subject. So um, anybody who's listened to the podcast before or maybe who doesn't know yet, um, I am personally embroiled in how the Football Association of Ireland has made such a mess of everything. And anybody who doesn't know, if you think it's a country of three million people or four million people, they've ended up with debts of about 70 million euro. And nobody knows why and nobody knows how to solve it. And they're basically begging the government for a bailout. I think that's a pretty, that's a, yeah. that's a fair synopsis at this stage. Yeah. So, um, and I think um, anybody who is following the story or if you just put FAI into the new, you'll just see kind of nearly daily updates of, of more things that are perplexing. And the most recent one um, is that the scandal after asking for a, ba- a bailout being threatening with, with collapse um, recently, Deloitte, um, Ireland, who are the auditors of the FAI, have announced their resignation. And the reason why they have announced their, recogni- rec- their resignation was to say that the FAI has failed to keep proper accounting records at potential criminal inv- offence. They have reported that to the, the correct bodies in Ireland. Um, and the, that senior officials apparently told people at the recent AGM that they have been misled by FAI directors. Now, I guess my question for you, Connor, because I don't have the audit background and, uh, and you have worked in audit. Yeah. Um, I think the last piece I'd add at the very end of this is that Deloitte have been the FAI's auditors for 23 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I have misled you for 23 years that you haven't found my my secret cave of all the things I haven't told you about. And and that just kind of, I keep thinking everything is the icing on the cake or the the cherry on the icing that we can't hear anymore. And I think there's a big stack of cherries and this one's right on top because it baffles me how after 23 years that you... In an or as we said, in an organization that to me seems very very simplistic, they kind of they have matches, they sell tickets, they get money in, they sell jerseys, mm. they get money in, they have sponsorship, they get money in, and yes, there's other things around that, but it's uh, it's not the most complex of businesses. No, it's it's um, yeah, as you said, if if this was if Deloitte had taken over the audit this year and then they couldn't get this information and they refused to give an opinion and walked away, that's a different story. Mm. But over a 23 year period. <laughs> You know, the the whole purpose and point of the auditors is to give comfort over those accounts. And as you said, it's not, this isn't like Enron. It's not the smartest accountants in the world who are doing this sophisticated hoodwink over the auditors. Yeah. If this was done No offence to the previous accountants of the yeah, FAI, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. But yeah, well, I think that the, they'll, I'm sure, have taken offence to other recent things. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but yeah, if this was done right, you know, the auditors shouldn't be in there relying on what you know that the high executives in the FAI are telling them there are a number of risk areas that they should have been getting comfort over themselves and if they weren't able to get that comfort or they found themselves having to rely on you know word and promises then yeah. they should have disclaimed their audit opinion and they yeah. should have been in a position where this was addressed years ago because some of the things that have come out around spending sponsorship money that you haven't received yet or you've been promised in a few years. Um, you know, they're not things that would be difficult to to test in an order or even the, the amount of transactions with related parties and with the ex-CEO and all these things should have been red flags and wouldn't have been difficult to dig into. But 
I don't know. I think clearly the, the, the others clearly, were just watching matches with them rather than... Clearly, clearly some of the accountants were cleverer than you're giving them credit for, Colin. Yeah, or some of the auditors. <laughs> where we won't get into that. We won't get into that. Anyway, we should move on before I do say something I get in trouble for. Okay, so looking at my story, which is a slightly nicer one, <laughs> or maybe less ranty, and quite topical, um, I suppose the first point on this is to do with the level of waste that's generated around Christmas time. So in Britain alone, households generate 30% more waste over the month of Christmas. That's an extra 3 million tonnes, and most of this ends up going to landfills. So the recycling um, of plastic packaging in the EU, the average of recycling is about 42%. But one country, which is Lithuania, has actually been leading the way and has managed to get their recycling um, figure up to 74% of all waste. Wow. So very impressive in in how what they're doing and how they've changed this over the last few years. And how they've done it is the successful um, implementation of this deposit refund scheme, which isn't an entirely new system. You see it in certain countries with bottles. Um, so they introduced this in 2016, where customers pay an extra um, 10% charge when buying any plastic products. And then they have um, these reverse vending machines and shops and all around that people can go put these plastic products in and it will spit out that deposit back. Mm. Or if not, they're paying it in the shops like a tax. Um, and then these deposits are obviously sent off to the proper recycling centres. But I think the the success in this is not just the scheme, but how much um, they've changed, I suppose, the, the culture and how the, the public are using this. So they now have 92% of all bottles and cans are recycled. Their um, plastic packaging recycling is up over 20%, and 90% of their citizens have actually used this system. So... I think it really, again, we've talked about, um, you know, there has been other of these innovative things that drive change, particularly with recycling. But it does show how the, the kind of successful, simple implementation of something like this can completely change how a, how a country approaches their their recycling and their sustainability and looking after the environment. I don't want to come across as sounding really old and I'm really not as old as this common sense, <laughs> but um, I think I still remember vaguely in my childhood where you kind of, you bought bottles of Coke or whatever yeah. it would be and you brought them back to the shops and you got your deposit back and it was yeah. like 5p and 1p and all that type of stuff. Um, and, I, and, and I guess that changed for convenience sake and probably for manufacturing sake and you kind of think, well, people will never do that again. I think that's just proved it. I think once people get a, I guess what's sad a little, in a little way is that people have to be nearly financially motivated to take part in it. But yeah. again, nobody's really spending money on it because you're kind of, you're paying your money up front and, and you're getting your own money back. So there is a certain amount of motivation for that. And so I think it's a it's an amazing statistic and, and yeah. kind of just such a simple idea. I don't think we're gonna we're not gonna solve um the environmental issues with we're kind of one somebody's just come up with an amazing idea, they flick the switch and it all ends. And I think yeah, and there this was, is a great thing to do. There was some some criticism that, you know, people should not be producing plastic products or plastic shouldn't be used but it's hard to drive huge change as you said where you suddenly get all these companies to stop doing this and that's obviously the ultimate end goal to stop producing using as much plastic but as a short-term solution 
at least the plastic that has been reduced to get that recycled. The other thing with any schemes like this is that you're actually having much less litter because people are taking bottles off the, the street. And you do find in these situations, and I've seen in countries, that it does can spread more money to people who need it. Or mm-hmm. um, So it, it has a lot of other social impacts and environmental impacts even in the, the litter alone. But I think, you know, it does show how if you can understand how people work and what's necessary to drive a change, you can put something in place that that leads to that. Well, even back to that motivation, if you look at litter, um, people don't see themselves throwing bottles on the ground. They see themselves throwing money on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And and that motivation is great. and, And maybe that is the answer. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. So on to our student questions. Um, This is a question that's come in and it's from one of the students who's already signed up to our free webinar series. So they asked, I've just signed up for the free webinar series, but I might not be able to attend all of the webinars. Can I look at them later? How do I get a hold of homework and mock exams? So I think for people who are not familiar with LearnSignal, you can just come in and set up an account and and become one of our basic members. Um, That requires no cost and you get you get limited access to content, but you also get access to we'll email you when this webinar is on or available or we'll email you about podcasts going live or anything like that that might be of interest. So for anybody who can attend live, you can do so free of charge. If you're not unable to attend it live, um, we only put our content onto our site. So if you want to kind of have the flexibility of being able to access that which is pretty impressive content on any of the case, stu- case study um, webinars. Um, if you want to access that, you need to um, sign up and um, buy one of our plans. And you, when you sign up, you have access anytime. You can watch them as many times as, as you want. They're always on demand. And you also get access to um, the future webinars. So I think that that's that, that key thing. We are looking to help as many students a, as we can, but we just that's just the only way we can make that work for our members as well. I think for the homework is something similar. So at the end of every webinar, um, Paul, um, who hosts the case study webinar, will suggest certain work to be done that week. Certainly for the first few weeks, there's, um, there's bespoke questions and solutions that we have designed at LearnSignal. And you will practice them and they will be around the area of whatever Paul covered that week. So whatever technique that you've worked on with Paul that week, those questions will will concentrate on perfecting that technique in order to prepare to do mock exams. Um, but even if you're not a basic member for LearnSignal, you can sign up um, as a basic member. And if you don't want to get a subscription, you can still do mock exams. So as a basic member, you can purchase mock exams separately. Um, they are 30 euro, 30 pound. Uh, what you can do is you can buy one of them and when you complete your mock exam, you get feedback and you get your mark within three days of doing that. So, And there's, there's a good few of those available. So even if you don't want to do the teaching and if you wanted to, if you could attend the webinars live, we would still recommend highly that you do some of the mock exams and get that great feedback from our tutors that will definitely help you pass your exam. So that's everything we've got for this week. Um all the best with your studying. It should certainly, if you're doing case studies, it should start to to ramp up now, um, and hopefully you got a little bit of a warning if you're doing your OT, the OT exam in the future. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.